0: What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. And hello on YouTube. I hope you've been enjoying the content we've been putting up. Uh, We've been doing a lot of work to get us a little more regular on YouTube thanks to our great now YouTube producer, which is super cool. Hey, if this is your first time listening to our podcast or watching it, thank you so much for spending time with us. I know there are so many other podcasts out there, including the podcast of the guests that we have on today's show that you could be listening to, which frankly is infinitely better than ours. So thank you for listening to ours. It means so much. Speaking of which, on this episode of the podcast, I have Dr. Pete Ends. Oh yes, if you are in Uh, I guess, deconstruction spaces or are um, rethinking your faith, then Pete Enns probably rings a bell. He is a a scholar. He is someone who is a co-podcast host on The Bible for Normal People with Jared Bias. They do, frankly, amazing work. And having Pete on the show was just, wow, what a privilege, what an honor. We talk about all kinds of things. We talk about the Bible. What is the Bible? What are we as, as evangelicals trying to find better paths outside of evangelical fundamentalism, what do we do with the Bible? Um, How do we get our morals if the Bible isn't a moral rule book? How about the political climate? How do we carve better paths forward while also staying somewhat rooted in reality? We talk about all those things and more. So Pete, if you're listening, which let's face it, he's a busy man probably making millions of dollars by the minute so I doubt he is but if you are thanks for coming on the show I really appreciate it that being said I do want to say that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Mad Priest Coffee they are at this point pretty much like family to us they are uh, a consistent sponsor of the show they make amazing well I shouldn't say they make they roast amazing coffee with great messages behind it they also poke fun at evangelical culture in all of the right ways so I recommend going to madpriestcoffee.com type in tne in the checkout, get 20% off your order. And also, friends, I want to mention that we are spending time with Pete Ends and with Jared at Trip Fuller's Theology Nerd Beer Camp Godpot Edition. Okay, there you go. October 13th through 15th in North Carolina. You can click on the link in our show notes, type in TNE in the checkout, get $50 off of your ticket, and you can hang out with me, with Pete, with Trip Fuller, and so many other amazing scholars and podcast hosts talking about all kinds of things that people like us like to talk about, like theology, politics, things that most people stay away from. We just dive Head first into. I also wanna say thank you everyone who supports the show. It means so much. If you are willing and able, would you consider supporting us financially? Let me just level with you. I know that the typical podcast um, method and way of doing this is to hold back some podcast episodes and make you sign up for a Patreon account so you get exclusive content that no one else gets. I understand why, why people do that model. That's not how we operate, okay? We believe in giving people access to our content for free despite any uh, or um um financially well let me let me rephrase that we want to give them free content with no financial barrier, okay? And that's important to us because some people, frankly, they just can't afford to give you money to get extra help as they're deconstructing. So the way we work is that we trust the generosity of the community to donate to help us make all of this happen. And thank you to all of you who do. If you want to support us monthly or with a one-time donation, you can click on the link on our show notes. All donations in the U.S. are tax deductible because we are a registered nonprofit. If that's not your thing, maybe because of inflation or for whatever reason you can't donate right now, We totally get that. If you can share this podcast, if you can share our content, if you can give us a rating and a review, that would also be so helpful. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my episode with Pete Enns. Have a great day. Heat ends uh the man the myth the legend honestly great to have you on you're also uh, an East Coast person I think you're somewhat close to me I'm right over in New Jersey right on the on the Delaware River uh in a, in oh, a little, really? uh, yep uh, in a little town so what that's town? where I am uh, me. uh Riverside area um Beverly area Burlington I'm area I'm, I'm right yeah, there
1: I don't know where, I don't know um Burlington did you say yeah like Cherry yeah, Hill that I, yeah that ge- I know yeah. Okay. yeah area so yeah yeah so, yeah, I'm outside of Philadelphia and I grew up in New Jersey. Actually, I grew up in Bergen <laughs> County, which is the northeastern corner yes. of the state of New Jersey, where you have to go down to get to the George Washington Bridge to go yes. to New York City. So, yeah.
0: And the businesses are closed on Sundays because of blue laws, I believe.
1: I don't know if they still are, but they were when I was a kid. That's for sure. So, yeah. Because it's right. such a godly state.
0: You know? <laughs> well, of course. I mean, you know, it, they're bringing God back to America, the state of New Aren't Jersey. They though?
1: So, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, listen, I'm going to be honest. I've been thinking about this conversation for a bit, and I, I just want to hop right into the deep end, which really for you is, is the shallow end, but for me is the deep end. So – you know, we have uh, this platform, this community, the New Evangelicals, where people who are leaving white evangelical spaces for the first time, the analogy we use a lot is we're coming out of the basement of just fundamentalist evangelicalism in, uh, up the stairs and going, oh my God, there's a whole house here. There's there's so much mm-hmm. to do and to explore. That's not what I thought was the only way to be Christian. I My first question that I want to just kick us off with is, what the hell do we do with the Bible now? Because I honestly don't know where to start. I feel like yeah. every time I read it, I'm like, I know I'm missing it. I'm not understanding context. However, I'm perceiving it, it's probably not correct. I mean, what do what do former evangelical people trying to be followers of Jesus do with this Bible? Given how how weaponized and how like miss I don't know um, miseducated we were about it, that's mm-hmm. my first question to you. How's that? <laughs>
1: That's a big question that's a that's a we could talk for a long time about this one, but I would say, you know first of all, um, I think that question requires a lot of thinking and a lot of time, yeah, and that is part of the life of faith is thinking through questions like that hmm. and not thinking that well i I got to get this Bible back real quick. You know, for example, a question that I get very commonly is like people, I, I got from a pastor not not very long ago who said, you know, Pete, I get what you're saying. You know, the Bible's not inerrant and there are contradictions in this and that. It really helps me. But now give me something to hold on to. Right. Give me a way of reading the Bible that I can hold on to. And my, my honest response to that is no, mm. you don't get to have that yet. <laughs> you know, so basically, you're, you're, you've, you you know, you had the Bible functioning in a certain way in the life of faith. Right. And now the Bible is reshaped, reframed. It doesn't function that way. And then it's like, well, give me a foundation back really quickly because I'm nervous. And then maybe you don't get a foundation. That's part of the theological process. And I know that sounds wishy washy and manby-pamby, but that's why it's important to find communities of faith where people support that kind of a journey.
0: So. I think the reason why a lot of people, and I'll be honest, I think in a lot of ways, um, I, I was one of those people. I still am sometimes, but it's gotten better. Um, is that where well, I was? I was taught at least where it was the perspective of the Bible is foundational to truth. And therefore, uh-huh. without the Bible, how do you have morals? How do you have this? So with without replacing that, right? It feels like, well, where do I get my morals from? My my intuition? Uh, how do I know about Jesus from mm-hmm. where? I think that's right. why people get kind of stuck in that place where they're like, sure, that sounds nice, Pete. You know, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. But uh, without that, I have what kind of faith do I have? Because I was just taught that the Bible was everything. yeah, And, and that's it.
1: Well, I I think when, you know, people saying, you know, I used to have this Bible that was like a foundation for truth and a foundation for morals and our behavior. Right. The problem is that the reason people are where they are now is because they've already found that to be not entirely true. Mm. They've already experienced the problem with it. So, that should push us a little bit forward not that's sort of still a backward kind of way of looking at it like what can mm. i hold on to what can i get back to keep moving yeah but i think you know see this is where very practically speaking the, qua- the Wesleyan Quadrilateral is very, very helpful for me mm. in thinking through this. You have four things that work together. It's not. It's not a like a lot of Christians have a pyramid mentality. At the bottom of the pyramid is the Bible. That's the foundation for everything, and on top of that, you build whatever you know—church history, or philosophy, or theology, right. or church membership, or things like that. And instead, I would. Uh, you know, I, I I like the Wesleyan quadrilateral because it's four things that are always interplaying, interworking. One is Scripture, another is reason, another is our experience, and another is our tradition—the tradition we happen to be a part of. Yeah, and those things are always talking to each other, and that's how we gain theological knowledge or knowledge of God. Hmm. And I would add to that. See, I, for me, this is part of the experience angle that yeah. the quadrilateral talks about. But I think. I think intuition is huge Hmm. in how we understand God and just our communion with God. Our intuition, you know, how many people, how many generations of people have been told, you're a worm and you're horrible and God's absolutely mad at you just from the time you wake up in the morning and even in the middle of the night, God's displeased unless… You say certain words, or once you become a Christian, then you have to do all these things to sort of stay in God's favor. It's very much a a transactional view of of God. And that is very problematic because as human beings, we exercise intuition all the time. And the question is, intuition, is it evil? Is it part of our sinfulness? Right. Is with us and in us every intuition we have is right but not every exegetical insight we have is right either we're flawed subjective human beings and our intuitions are our guts telling us something just isn't right here and maybe we're supposed to listen to that especially if we believe that god is in us somehow mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but but it's not objective that's 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 subjective and you can be led astray right and Depending on the mood I'm in, I'll say this nicely, or I'll say it not as nicely, or I'll say it snarkily. I'll just say, hey, man, get used to subjectivity. Life is subjective. Theology mm. is subjective. Mm. Biblical hermeneutics is subjective. You don't believe in objective truth? Yeah, actually, I do. I believe that you know there is an objective truth. I just think it's largely inaccessible to us. Mm. And I think if we're dealing with an infinite God and an infinite cosmos, you know, we're not going to have a handle on it. Mm. You know, so so we are creatures who are trying to live in communion with God, and intuition is very much a part of that. Communion with others is very much a part of that. Mm. Um, I've heard theologians talk about the role of imagination, imagining how things can be. That's mm. prophets did that. You know, it's it's how can we not have imagination as part of our thinking about God? Right. When we're dealing with a God who we simply cannot truly fathom or understand, imagination is going to come into that. So, mm. you know, what if all those things that we're told is bad, and now since all those things are bad, here are your choices, read the Bible the way we tell you to, and believe it the way we tell you to, and then you'll be safe. You'll be okay. What if all that's nonsense? Yeah. And what if you're not throwing the Bible away when you do that? You're actually embracing the Bible, but differently.
0: So um I think that is really well said and that is certainly part of my own journey you know when I I, mean, I grew up very fundamentalist John MacArthur Paul Washer you know so definitely the you're oh, a worm. my goodness gracious <laughs> you're a worm ready to just be yeah. consumed by an angry god and when I was going through my, really the thick of some of my own, just, you know, type six uh, anxieties and just all that kind of stuff, um, I discovered the Bible project, Tim Mackey. And uh, sure. that yeah, was yeah. one of the oh, beginnings, yeah. uh, one of the first podcasts where I went, oh my God. I mean, one of the first episodes I listened to was, it was titled God or Gods, talking about just how God is a title and Elohim. And yeah, and I'm just like, I never knew any of this. <laughs> and that was just one of the the, the, the first moments in my life where I went, I I think the Bible actually might be more beautiful than I ever imagined mm-hmm. but not in the way I was taught about it originally and now I'm kind of curious I'm kind of curious to kind of yes. rethink and relearn about mm-hmm. what is happening in this in this collection of books that mm-hmm. Really, I think Tim would say, you know, these authors are brilliant, they're hyperlinking, they're connecting, but I miss so much of that because of my cultural moment, and maybe I should be okay right. with that and learn to sit in someone else's culture as much as we're able to. That right. was the beginning of shifting my, like, oh, I what? what do I do with the Bible to, like, well you know, this this framework makes more sense out of the Bible, frankly. That really helped mm-hmm. me a lot, I think, in those beginning stages and still does. I mean, honestly, the way I view the Bible now is so different than how I used to. Uh, more wisdom literature and, and, you know, more just what not to do <laughs> sometimes, right. Right? Uh, right? And also just really com- complex themes going on. So, that has helped me for sure, I think. for Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, the Bible project's wonderful. I, I mean, I sign many of their videos to my students in class because, you know, it's a cartoon, which helps and uh not just me going on, but it's <laughs> right. a good, I mean this in a very positive way. It's a good gateway drug
0: mm. to sort
1: of just introduce you to there's more, there's more to the Bible than verses, right? There are themes, right? Yeah. The right. books have a theology, right? The gospel of Mark has a different, Thing going on than the gospel of Matthew, you know, Mm. and seeing that, I mean, I've had students from Christian backgrounds who have like their faith has really been on rocky ground because um, they're figuring out fundamentalism just doesn't work for them. And for them to see, my goodness gracious, these biblical, the the gospel writers, they don't agree on stuff. And it's like, wow, it's. They're actually adults thinking about what they want to say, right? Mm. So I, I think the Bible is worthy of adult attention. That's really mm. what it is. and mm. i and I think sometimes it's kept as a children's book for adults that not to be questioned. It's right. It's a rule book or you know, an owner's manual, sort of a field guide to faith kind of thing. right. And I think that really, really runs roughshod over the properties the Bible has that make that older view complicated, namely how diverse the texts are and how ancient they are. They're from a different culture. We really don't understand that we think we do. Mm. Um, and also there's ambiguities in the Bible that you have to just work through. It doesn't really work well as, um, you know, what's it, B-I-B-L-E, uh, basic instructions before <laughs> leaving earth, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing basic about this collection of writings that spans about 1,000 to 1,200 years there's nothing basic about it. It's mm. it's it takes work. That's why, see, getting back to what I said before, yeah. Working out the Bible thing is a lifetime project of mm. faith. It's not mm. the foundation you get if you have that screwed up, why well, the whole pyramid falls down. Right. It's not a pyramid, it's a net. It's it's nodes on a net and they inter like like neurons firing and hitting each other. And it grows and it gets bigger. And to me, that's, that's interesting. That's a reason to teach this stuff. That's a reason to read the Bible and it's freeing, I think.
0: Yeah. So why don't you tell maybe the audience a little bit about some of your background, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think were you kind of, did you start out as a professor in more evangelical spaces and kind of transitioned out of them? Is that what happened? Is that kind of your journey or how, how, how did you grow up? Were, were Were you a Christian your whole life? Did you find faith later on? How does that journey work for you?
1: Yeah, well, um, okay. I mean, just very basically, thumbnail. uh, I grew up in what I would say was a Christian home, but my parents were German immigrants. Mm. So I didn't have any sort of evangelical upbringing. I was confirmed Lutheran in seventh grade, I think. And so even there, um, it was a liturgical background. It wasn't, I wasn't, I never thought of it. I never heard the word inerrancy at all. I think I was. Out of college or something. Wow. So, um, But I, I had a conversion experience in a Nazarene church, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was a different kind of Nazarene church. It was a very loud rock and rolly kind of Nazarene church in northern New Jersey where I grew up. Mm. And um, But then after college, I, had, I started having an intellectual awakening and I started reading a lot because I just didn't feel like I knew what I believed. I say I believe this stuff, but I didn't really know anything. So, I read a ton. Then I wound up in seminary um, in, a, in a in a conservative, but and I didn't really know the difference really back then, but in a conservative, but very sane and very much prizing the academic quest kind of seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went there for four years and I went to, to graduate school for five to get a PhD in ancient Near Eastern languages and civilizations, which is mm-hmm. a fancy way of saying the Bible and the stuff around it. Um <laughs> and then I went back to teach in the seminary where I was a student and I was there for 14 years until, and a a bunch of stuff happened. I just, I just needed to leave. I needed to resign after 14 years. Hmm. And um, for me, it's, it's been, I valued the experience there, but there was a transition for me that began about a year after I left that I, I just, Look at sort of um, an evangelical model of faith, and this was this was a Calvinist institution, but mm. generally speaking, it's still in the evangelical ish kind of world For or sure. how they view the Bible and salvation and things like that right but um i just I felt like it didn't explain my reality it didn't explain the world around me, mm. and I began exploring other uh, ways of being Christian, whether contemplative or more liturgical, and things like that. And it's it's meant a lot to me to make that transition. But mm. I don't hate my past. I don't I don't right. loathe it. I wish I knew some things then that I know now, but I don't know if I was ready to hear it. So, uh, you know, it took time for me. I'm a slow learner, and here I am.
0: Um, You run a podcast with Jared, um, Jared Bias, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Bible for Normal People, super successful. Um, People in my community cite you guys all the time. So uh, Mm -hmm. you're doing great work. I've noticed that- It's also
1: the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. That's true. That's true. You'd be surprised. I still get comments from people saying, that's really arrogant. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm serious. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Well, that's like recently
0: we did a response to a Kirk Cameron clip. Uh, where essentially I just took all of his rhetoric about, you know, we can't affirm sin as Christians and threw it back in his face for being a millionaire. And people were writing in the comments like, this is not proper exegesis. The con, I'm like, guys, you're missing out on, on like the <laughs> whole point of what we're trying to do here. But yeah. okay, you win. You're right. I'm thinking about a context. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so I noticed, and I, I want to give a disclaimer here, both to you and to the audience, you know, a, a big theme that we have here at Core Value is that we don't. We're not here to dehumanize people, but certainly we are realizing that there are certain maybe spokespeople in the evangelical uh, apologist world that I've encountered, that I've seen you respond to. Uh, I think about people like uh, Tim Barnett from Red Pen Logic or Lisa Childers, for example. And one of my questions about that, about that kind of world for you is, is, why do you think it is so successful? Um, I've noticed this as well, like in the circles I'm involved with, you know, people will often share this stuff with me or I'll see it get a, a ton of likes and be spread around. But ultimately I do find, and I've talked to Elisa and Tim privately both for over an hour. They're very cordial, polite people. You know, they're, they're great human oh, beings, sure. yeah, 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 but their theology so, yeah. and their, the way that, that, that they get there. I'm just, I'm always perplexed. Like, where is this coming from? I just don't understand from, for, from someone like you, who's a scholar of this stuff. How do you, how do you see that kind of, um, Rhetoric, I guess, and and why do you think it's so effective? Even though maybe it's there's not much to it when you start unpacking it.
1: Yeah, I I, th- I think there are, there are a lot of reasons for it. I think it differs from people to people, but hmm. there is something about you know when I when I left the Calvinist seminary where I taught. Yeah, I was so happy. I was free from being told what to believe. Hmm. And about nine months later. I was in a crisis. I I remember the day I stood there in my bedroom saying, I don't think I believe anything anymore. Mm. That's a frightening place to get to. And nobody wants to wish that upon themselves. So they avoid it. Um, I had to go through that personally. Others don't go through that. I had to do that. It was very important. I had to press reset on a lot of things because, you know, be careful what you wish for. I didn't want people telling me what to think. Well, I got what I wished for. Now, what do you believe? Like right. all of a sudden I had to figure it out. Mm. And I think it's, it's much easier to have a faith system where the heavy lifting is done for you mm. and you just have to believe it. And this is something that's part of, it's part of even the, the Hebrew Bible faith. There are, when you take sacrificing for granted, it's just what you do. Like, mm. no, no, it's more than that. You can't just rely on those kinds of rituals, right? That's, part of, you know, the, um, what you, the rhetoric of the prophets, for example. So, mm. but I think we keep repeating that. And I think yeah. evangelicalism is an example, not the only example. Sure, yeah. Liberal churches do this too, but just for different reasons. Mm. But um, there's, a, there's a sense in which he, here's the problem. You're going to hell. Here's the solution. God loves you and doesn't want to see that happen. Mm. Here's the Bible that gives you a certainty of where you go when you die. Right. I think at the heart of it, that is what the appeal is. And if you mess with those things, if you question, is God really mad at you going to send you to hell? And is this book going to do it? And or is it is it a certain way of understanding the book? Well, it's always a certain way of understanding it. Right. You can't question it really. Right. You can have a couple of you know quibbles here and there, but you can't really question it. And I think that that gives that sense of certainty. That I think human beings crave. We, we want certainty. And especially if the certainty you're given concerns what happens to you when you die.
0: Yeah,
1: Like, people don't want to let go of that. And I, I totally get it.
0: Right. But sure. I
1: think the journey with God is has to be more than a safety net.
0: Yeah.
1: It has to be. Mm. Just look at the world around us. Look, look at the cosmos. It's beautiful. Like, right. Something more has to be going on than getting out of this alive by the skin of your teeth because you happen to have been born in America and you go to a white church, for example, and you have all the food that you need and everything seems easy and you think you have all the answers to life's problems.
0: Yeah. Um, Maybe this isn't the question for you and you can tell me if it's not, but I'm, I'm not sure how tapped in you are to just some of those circles and also, you know, the the reentrenchment of Christian nationalism happening in white evangelical spaces and stuff. Um, I something that that really riddles me, honestly, when it comes to I, I call it the apologetics industry. I'm thinking of you know folks who are a little more well known who kind of are there to defend the Christian faith, really evangelicalism. Right. Um, they really have taken. Uh, they they really put terms like deconstruction, uh, progressive Christianity in their crosshairs and the evangelical industry has kind of followed along, you know, uh, the TGC, the gospel coalition has written a lot about this, but when it comes to Christian nationalism and like some of the blatant, I mean, dangerous uh, mm-hmm. ideologies and, and even the, the, the lack of empathy or, or lack of love being espoused even in these views. And of course the dominionism attached to this, I don't yeah. see, I mean, I, I check almost once a week, like, okay, what's, what is Mike Winger talking about on YouTube channel it ain't this um mm-hmm. what do you any any insight from your vantage point of like why that could be because to me I'm thinking if you're trying to protect your version of the gospel uh and it, it's about the right theology and right belief uh clearly there's some real there's some real heretical quote-unquote beliefs in this Christian nationalism movement that would not agree with those takes yet you're pretty quiet on them I it, it's something right. that I can't figure out I want to know if you maybe had any insight to it
1: well, um, in my opinion, I think the dynamic is that evangelicalism slash fundamentalism are both highly intellectual movements. They, I mean, some people would say, are you kidding me? That's this an echo chamber. There's nothing intellectual about it. It right. is intellectual. You might not think the arguments amount to much, but it's about having the right ideas, the right thoughts. Hmm. And being the idea of Christian nationalism doesn't affect the core theological value of evangelicalism, which is being saved. Mm. And but see, that's the thing that that concerns me because you know, wokeness doesn't affect salvation either, but right. yet they focus on that. Right? right. So um, I think I think what you have in in, in combination with that is Politically, a long history of just yeah. conservatism, politically, yeah. and Christianity. This is a Christian nation, after all. All that kind of stuff, right. and anything that threatens America being great again, right. um, which for many people means recapturing the glory days where we were actually a Christian nation, say the nineteen fifties. Right, right. It never was, but right. Anything that supports that is valued anything that they feel detracts from that is demonized so mm-hmm. wokeness um i mean there's clearly a racist element to this because right. you don't want people of dark skin being in the majority and having a say in what happens right because it's going to get really uncomfortable for us and we're the chosen people right i want to be careful here because not every evangelical thinks that right not every fundamentalist thinks that mm-hmm. but it's Part of the engine, and there's so much momentum for this. And you're right. Some of the, you know, I would love to see some of the hard right wing people condemn injustices wherever they see it. Right, but they don't. They're, they're, I think they're too fixed on uh, heaven on earth and and private kingdom building.
0: Yeah. What What are for you? You know, again, I, I know you teach this stuff. What are some ways forward as being Jesus people in our current cultural moment when we're kind of at war internally as well. I feel like, I mean, then my name or our account name is the new evangelicals for a reason, right? Because I honestly, for me, I saw Sean Foy doing his massless worship gatherings in the middle of the pandemic. And I thought I can't take it anymore between Trump and the George Mm -hmm. Floyd response and watching pastors. I know retweeting Candace Owens talking points. And now this COVID response by by Sean Foy and many evangelicals not wearing masks and it's all Mm -hmm. a hoax. We needed I, I thought to myself, we need a new evangelical something. Um, and that's that's kind of <laughs> what what really started the work that we're doing now. And a lot of folks that we encounter are like, hey, listen, I'm part of this deconstruction explosion, but I'm not really, I'm not taking the off-ramp into atheism or somewhere else. I'm still focused on trying to follow Jesus. Right. And we go, Great. Hopefully we can help be part of that. For you, what 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 does that look like in, in our cultural moment given what's happening and what's at stake right now?
1: Well, yeah, I I think, I mean, the new evangelicalism, okay, I think that's fine. I know what you're saying. I'm not sure if redeeming evangelicalism is the point. I think it's Mm -hmm. more, where do we go from here, kind of? Where do we, people who are tired of the evangelical model, where do we go from here? Right. Um, I would love to just snap my fingers and put all the bad people. (laughs) like in Arizona or something and just stay there. It's hot. Yeah, Texas. It's just as far South as possible and be hot and be miserable. So, but that's not going to happen. I think what is going to continue to happen is I think young people are going to be more and more vocal. And that's one thing about social media. You see that a lot. There are conservative young people, but there are a lot of not conservative young people who are um are gonna vote and who are going to go through the process of hopefully righting some wrongs that I think have happened in our country. Um not to get overly political here, but why not? The sure. the problem is that I'm not convinced the voting system is fair right. on a state level, um, mm-hmm. on a national level. I um I've had some thoughts about the Electoral College and how that's been set up by ultra-right wing, essentially fascist Republicans to sort of get to a certain outcome. And I yes. know that may anger some people, but let's just agree to disagree. If you don't like what I just said, we, we do have different opinions and that's mine. Um, so I, I think in terms of a solution though, I think I really think it's two pronged. One is relationally. We just try to be really kind and good people that don't contribute to the polarization. Mm. We recognize that we name it for what it is, but we try to engage in dialogue Because there are always people on the other side who might be willing to see, "Uh, I don't really, I don't think this is true anymore. And I want to find a different way. So we want to open as many doors as we can. Right. But I also think on the level of the collective level of um, being involved in government, it, it, it does my heart good to see. Young people who are really trying to make a difference who are running for office locally, and when I say young, I mean 40s and younger. Mm. Um, that's 40s isn't young, but you know, politically, not people in their late 70s, right? You know, right. who are trying to make a difference and who are trying to fight a system that has grown increasingly corrupt over the f- past few years, yeah. And I think to me, those are two ways of sort of moving forward in this country and failing all that. We just be who we are and to hell with it all. Right? You know what I mean? Like right. my, how I act is not going to be dictated by whatever laws are here or whatever people are saying, you know, I'm waiting for, you know, the, the, the American version of the brown shirts to come down my street in a pickup truck with, with, you know, AR-15s and haul me away. Cause I don't have the right ideas. I'm kidding. I don't think that's going to happen soon, but sometimes I wonder, you know, if the insurrection had been successful. I know. Um, you know, um, knighting, proud boys, um, and and other groups like that. It it would have wow. been, um, well, there would have been a civil war. I think very very quickly. And um, I, I still, in my more in my darker moments, as somebody who's getting older and cynical by the day, um, <laughs> I just don't know where this is going to go. And I think, like the Christians of old, let's say in the first century, the Christians who are dealing with stuff that we talk about in the Book of Revelation you keep doing your best to follow the slain lamb of God and not the system. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family.
0: Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Right. You know, I really struggle with a lot of this stuff, to be honest with you. A lot of our work is really engaged in trying to even understand our own evangelical history. I mean, I didn't know four years ago about Jerry Falwell and why the religious rights started. I thought it was over abortion. Turns out shocker. No, it's not. It's over, you know, segregation. I'm reading Bob Jones sermons going, Oh my God, this is just, this is what I was, what my heritage was, was built on. And, I had the book actually in front of me. Uh, the book "Discovering an Evangelical Heritage" by Donald Dayton, really great book. Talks a lot about like the early Western tradition and how they were mm. abolitionists and just really like forward-thinking evangelicals, so to speak. I go, ah, okay, maybe maybe there's some some stuff way back there we can try and pick up on. But I agree with you in the sense of we we can't try and reclaim the current evangelical system. I mean, it has to be dismantled in my perspective. I'm just being honest with you. You know, between mm-hmm. the mega church culture and just so many of these things, I think we have we have to think about about better ways forward that that don't try and re- repeat this. Obviously, we're never going to find it to be a perfect system, but the lack of accountability in these spaces concerns me. What really I think I wrestle with is because of our polarization in America where if you don't fall as someone who might claim, you know, to be a Christian, right? If I say, oh, I uh, I want to protect the environment, right? Um, oh, I, I I think I'm actually pro-choice. Uh, oh, actually, I think that, you know, queer rights are a thing. Automatically, it doesn't matter what I say from there. Automatically, I'm going to be thrown in the, oh, you're just a far left, whatever, radical, yada, yada, yada. And the reality is like, you're never going to see me have a Joe Biden flag on the back of my pickup truck. Like it's just, it's never going to happen, right? <laughs> and, I, and I'm not here to become... A fundamentalist all over again, but at the right. same time in our current moment, what happened on January 6th is like an unprecedented moment in our history. And there's only a doubling down, unfortunately, by many, in many, not all, but many in these evangelical spaces that are deeply in, in, connected to um, far-right political systems like Charlie Kirk's Turning Point USA, for example. And that's mm-hmm. where I get stuck because I'm like, I don't want to be Seen as like the other fundamentalism or the other sides, it's not about another side. But this is just so clearly problematic. I right. have to resist it, no matter what I get labeled at. at you know, right. no, no matter how people label me at this point.
1: I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think one way of putting what you're saying is there are times when a prophetic model hmm. is needed, where you just speak out against the injustice and you call it for what it is and. You know, a modern day prophet is MLK, who knew it was probably going to get him killed, but he did it anyway, right? Yeah. So there's a difference between that, but also the other way is a wisdom model, where it's not confronting something, but it's how we use our words and how we can influence and how we can um, persuade people, right? In 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 different ways of acting, and I think it takes wisdom. To know which of those models is appropriate at a certain time. Because yeah. I mean, there are times and I just want to say, no, it's there is systemic racism in our country. I mean, just ask black people. You know, it's it's not hard to see. And and yeah, no, I I do exhibit, I, I do enjoy white privilege. Right. Am I a racist? I don't think I'm a racist, but I'll let other people tell me that. But I do enjoy white privilege. No, you don't. Yes, I do. And you do too. Right. And, and, and let's talk about why. There are times when I just want to stand up and just say what I have to say, but other times, a gentler way, a different way, a wiser way, a craftier way, and a good sense of the word. But it takes wisdom to know the difference. It's like those two proverbs, answer a fool according to his folly yes. or he'll be wise in his own eyes don't answer or you know he'll think you know um or you'll be like him right? the question is which one do you do do you answer or not answer right. and i think knowing that is a matter of wisdom hmm. um so I, I i'm beginning to see wisdom as maybe the most val- that in love as the yeah. most valuable christian characteristics because it may help us know how to act in certain situations
0: yeah i think that's great i i, I I, well, we, as a community, we, th- we talk a lot about um, trying to invite people into better ways of being as Jesus people. You know, like you said earlier, we don't want to close doors. We don't want to dehumanize or start othering people all over again, but, yeah. I, but it is. And I, I think wisdom is what's necessary here is there yeah. are just conversations I'll have in my DM sometimes. Someone might DM me and say, Hey, you're open to having a conversation. Sure. And, and, by by message number four, it's evident they think that the election was still stolen. And I have to say, like, okay, listen, I, I how do I move forward in this conversation if we live in two different realities? One that I think mm-hmm. is objectively factual we can prove, and the but, other one is just in a land of like make-believe here. I mean, you're, you're better off trying to argue a flat earth for me at this point, right? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that's how clear the data is, I believe, on this. And it, it is tricky because – yeah, it's just tricky for me, I think, you yeah. know, j- j- just to find right. those paths and say, this is not, like, you mentioned sub- subjectivity versus objectivity, and I think that what I've been learning, and I'd love your response to this, whether you would see it this way or not, is that certainly there are some objective truths about our universe. I mean, math helps prove that, you know, we we can measure things to say, you know, whatever is, is, mm-hmm. but when it comes to religion or theology, that's a very subjective art form in a way, and I yeah. feel like our evangelical culture has been reversed, where 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 they live in in this in this current reality in like a make believe land where they go oh no this is all subjective well maybe you believe the election the wasn't stolen but I do so respect my beliefs but when it comes mm-hmm. to theology they go no no the Bible is clear objectively right. true this is definitely the only way to see it and if you don't see it this way you're a heretic it's like right. whoa we're, we are just seeing things completely opposite and I really struggle with that
1: well I love that I think that's a really really good way of putting it you know just uh. My theology is rock solid. It's objectively truthful and verifiable because it's right there in the Bible, which speaks for itself objectively, right? Right. But um, we all have our truth when it comes to climate change.
0: Right. Right. We all have our
1: truth when it comes to um, whether vaccines work or don't work or whether they're just just a good idea. Right. And, you know, people, you know, they get their information from certain websites, you know, and, and that's doing the research and that's good enough. You know, so right. it is interesting how those two things have flip-flopped, you yeah.
0: yeah, just it's something that I've been, again, just trying to work through as we trying to invite people in, trying to be humble, not trying to be fundamentalist again, but also trying to stand somewhere in truth without being, It's anyway, it's a whole smorgasbord of just like, almost well, as a type six, almost like contradictory thoughts of like, how do I reconcile some yeah. of these
1: things, you know? I think, though, the, um, let's say the subjectivizing of science. yeah. Is whether this is intentional or not, I don't know, but I think it's done in the interest of buttressing the object of, the objectifying of theology and Bible and religion. Because anything that's perceived, it may be a, a haywire connection, but anything is perceived to undermine God's truth and God's word. Right is then relativized and subjectivized in view of the objective reality, which is God. And I, see, I do believe God is an objective reality, although I would even quiggle with what that means, but mm. that's irrelevant because God is also a mystery mm. and God and the Bible are not the same thing, right. but it's taken that way. You know, just the it's God's word is speaking to you. It's God's love letter to you. Yeah. What's wrong with you? It says that. It says this. That's what it says. That's all it is. How, how would you argue with it? Because right. well, it says the opposite four books down. No, it doesn't. Well, it does. Let me show you. No, no, it doesn't. Mm. It can't because God right. wouldn't do that to us. But he did. <laughs> <laughs> there it is.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, how much of this do you think is tied into the, the, um, fundamental, like, uh, fundamentalism in the what, early 20th century when, when they, I think Jared talks about this in his making of the modern mind series mm-hmm. a little bit that the idea of how fundamentalism kind of took, you know, modern, um, rational thinking and applied it to the Bible as a, as a theology of sorts. Do you think we're right? Do you think
1: that do you think there's a connection to what we're seeing now from there? Does that make sense? Oh, I think it goes back even further. By the way, I'll just make just a side issue here. I'm feeling like I'm being very, very cynical, and I am, and I blame you entirely. <laughs> you're bringing this out in me. It's not my fault. Fine. I'll you're take ma- it. You're, you're a mouthpiece of Satan, and you're bringing out the cynicism in me. I, uh, I bear try, my cross. <laughs> but all kidding aside on that issue, um, you know, some of us are just wired for cynicism. I'm one of them, and I really. Fight against mm. being cynical. You can yeah. be a little snarky. That's a different thing, but cynical. I don't want to fall into that trap. Right. But I still want to have what I think is a prophetic clarity about things. And yes, like we yes. were talking about before, right? So well I want to try to figure out, that's my issue. I want to try to figure out how to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm with you. Anyway. So I see, I think, um, the, the short answer to a very interesting and long uh, real issue is I think some of this started like in the 16th century and with the rise of the scientific method mm. and the rise of thinking that began pushing away from supernatural things and went to science can explain many, and it can, science can explain many things. And what happened was in a nutshell, the Bible and the study of the Bible and the interpretation of the Bible began to be subsumed under a scientific mentality, which is, if you look at it hard enough and understand it hard enough, you'll realize there's one and only one way of reading the Bible. Mm. Just like there's one and only one way of explaining the orbit of the planets or what light is or how fast light is, which they figured out much later. Right. You know, th- when you're, uh, uh, there's objective reality and the Bible is a part of that objective reality. And so, in Protestantism, that allowed the Bible to be elevated to a position of unimpeachable authority in its plain meaning and plain um, its plain interpretation. That's why John Calvin hated allegory. Hmm. Allegory had been around since basically the Old Testament times, allegorizing texts, but he um, he said allegory which is the opposite of literal, right? It's the opposite of objective interpretation. He said it's from Satan. Hmm. So the Bible becomes this very important thing that is uh, supposedly a source of objective truth, which is falling right into the modernist mindset, which is our minds can figure out everything. And the Bible is here and we can understand it. And therefore we understand God. And that's been a part of the Christian experience for 500 years now in the West, But I think it did become, uh, in my opinion, it became more notable in like the 1700s and 1800s, and then of course the 1900s certainly, um, where uh, you have, for example, the real rise of science like you know, um, archaeology and Darwin in the 19th century, you know. And uh, then the pushback against all that was a scope monkey trial in 1925, right? So, we've been living in, in the West in a version of the Christian faith that has baked into it a modernist, objectivizing, analysis, left brain, only logic, only evidence kind of way of thinking about ultimate reality, And science uses that and gives us an awful lot of clarity on beautiful things. Sure. But the notion that God himself is subject to this is, for me, an absolutely ludicrous idea. Mm. Mm. So I I think those things are mixed up with that. And we're in a moment where we're still heir to that way of thinking. But of course, the postmodern trend, which is also part of the 20th century, that's been a sort of a corrective saying, Are you really objective? Are you sure you're objective? Is anybody really objective? Right. Well, maybe not. Right. So, right. Um, and, and so you have a tension now. And part of the tension, I think, in the church is when you go against wokeness or progressiveness or subjectivity or, you know, POBO thinking, postmodern thinking. That is the, that's the church's version of resisting trends that critique modernism
0: hmm yeah yeah that's good i think this is a good time to plug um That four-part series that Jared did, honestly, I listen to your podcast all the time. There's there's great episodes on there. That those four episodes really are really clear, and they kind of spell it out so plainly, so anybody can listen and go, "Oh, that makes so much sense." So I recommend folks if you're listening, Bible for Normal People. It's a great podcast. Make sure you subscribe and and check it out because it it, it's very it gives a lot of clarity to kind of how we got
1: here now. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, we got. I'm hoping actually that he circles back and expands each of those episodes and talks a little bit more because you know there's always a lot of stuff you leave out yeah it really to understand why we think for those who are so inclined who want to do it to understand why we think about everything the way we think about it including the bible including Christianity including god yeah that's a gut check that's like oh i'm just i'm i'm just sort of a product of my own time here i'm not I'm not doing what the Bible says. I'm doing how my culture understands what the Bible says.
0: Right, which is normal, <laughs> because every yes. human exists in the culture, um, right? Except, mm-hmm. of course, for you know John MacArthur and John Piper. They're all always above it. Um, they have the truth of God's word. We all know that. Um, so we have a few minutes left here. I, I want to circle back around to some more like the theological questions, if you don't mind, while I have you for a few minutes. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, g- for you now, how do you think the Bible talks about salvation? I, I I could imagine as you mentioned those things, I I didn't circle back around. I can imagine the audience being like, "Wait, I want to know like what does Pete think about these big terms that I've been taught only one way to understand? Like you know, I was taught salvation is you pray the prayer, you repent, and then um you know maybe don't curse, definitely don't have sex till you're married, and uh, one day you're gonna be mm-hmm. in the clouds forever. So that's salvation. Anything outside of that is a false gospel. How do right. you view that term now? and how do you think the bible kind of communicates that idea compared to maybe that stereotypical evangelical right. way
1: well i think that's one of the issues that it would be like what the bible is for other people it's that's the thing that i am one of the things i'm i'm trying to work through in you know very constructively what do i understand mm. things like salvation to be um what I would throw out there, though, is first, I think salvation happens all the time for me. I think it can happen daily. It can. It's like I think of Zacchaeus and Jesus, you know, and um, truly salvation has come to this house. And I don't think Jesus was saying, now, if you die tonight, you're going to heaven and not hell. It's that he changed his ways mm. and his life is different. And I think every day when... I can look back and I say, you know, I didn't, I didn't give in to my tendency to want to be right in that situation that happened a few hours ago. I, I can hear salvation has come to this house today. And it's meaningful to me. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's it's like my own transformation as a person, which is rocky and <laughs> wholly inconsistent and somewhat laughable, frankly, at times. But. Sure. But that's what it is. So I, I think of salvation that way. I think that the the New Testament writers were never successful in decoupling salvation from the um, the future of of Judaism. Meaning, um, you know, I think Paul's notion of the eschaton of the end is Jesus sitting on the throne in Jerusalem and ruling the earth and all the nations stream to it. And it's finally like we're back in Eden. Mm -hmm. That's how I read the book of revelation as well. And, um, that's, that's a, that's a very Jewish way, a very Jewish messianic way of thinking that the ultimate reality is here somehow. Um, even if there's a new heaven and new earth, as revelation says, even if there isn't a, a, you know a temple, but we don't really need a temple anymore. you know, it's it's there's a new Jerusalem, but not no temple in it. you know, there's it's still a very concrete thing. And I, I think what happened was in in the second century, the church started becoming less Jewish and more, Gentile, and educated Gentile, and people very well versed in, in philosophy, correct, or Roman philosophy. And I think the hope began to be transferred from, I don't want to just throw terms out, like a Jewish apocalypticism eschatology where terrible things are going to happen and we're going to set up shop here and everything's going to be right. We're going to clean the slate. It's all going to be good. I think we move from that to a transcendent view Mm -hmm. of how all this goes so that now salvation becomes more where you go when you die and you somehow for some you go up right and then what (laughs) right you know i mean most christians i know unless they're really well schooled in certain versions of fundamentalism but most christians i know don't think about when I die, I'll go to heaven, but then one day I'll come back to this earth and rule with Jesus in Jerusalem. It's usually like, and I'll live with Jesus up there someplace right. forever. I'll
0: sing right? Hillsong songs forever.
1: Right. Exactly. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> Sounds like heaven to me. Not to me. Cause <laughs> I watched the documentary. So anyway, Same. yeah. So yeah. So I, I think to me, that's you're asking me what I think about salvation. Those are all yeah. the things that go through my mind. Like, What does it mean to be saved? And is it primarily an after death thing or is it, is it a now thing? Is it, is it both? Do we keep getting saved after we die? Right. Right. Do we, do we, our consciousness continues and are we forever being introduced to the infinite creator? You know, um, And again, this is not just me shooting from the hips. There are plenty of people who have thought something like that since ancient days. And I'm just learning. And I'm learning um, over the past 20 years, non-evangelical ways of parsing some of these very, very big questions that don't just sound so transactional. Well, it's
0: it's encouraging to, to hear you say that because, again, I just think in my context, that was so like 101, like, oh. Of course, we all know you're gonna. When you die, you go to heaven with Jesus. Like you just pray the prayer and you're saved. This is 101. But to hear you mm-hmm. wrestling through questions that I was taught were so rudimentary and say, actually, this is this requires some deep pondering and like maybe wrestling and thinking through other, you know, traditions and looking through this, you know, with, with a more Jewish lens to kind of get mm-hmm. some some better thoughts about this. It actually gives me a lot of comfort because I think some people can feel ashamed uh, for 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 saying, well. What is salvation now, and they and they expect like another easy? Oh well, now salvation—it's not that now; it's definitely this. As opposed to, that's mm-hmm. a great question, right? Because I, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it just helps me feel a little more at home thinking I'm allowed to answer, ask these questions and wonder, like, yeah, how would, what does forever look like if that's what forever is, uh, right. and and, and long term, you know, I mean, how how do cremated people come back to life if, if we believe in a physical resurrection? <laughs> how does that work? I don't know, uh, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff just. It's just helpful to, to know that I'm not the only person thinking about this stuff, you know?
1: Well, I think many people are, but and I think people who even aren't allowed to are thinking about these things too. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the, the possible response is, well, you're just making an easy thing complicated. I, I don't think I am. You can, I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise, but I don't think I'm trying to make an easy thing complicated. I'm just seeing the complexities in something that I was always taught was simple. Right. Because questions really do come up, like, okay, so what do we do up there for eternity? Sing praises to God? Is that it? I mean, right? That sounds a little like going to church, right? Like, forever, right. you know. And who wants to do that? And is it up there? And would you get? I mean, Tom Wright, NT Wright is is correct, I think, where he says that you know the Bible doesn't really talk about. Life after death, it talks about life after life after death. It mm-hmm. doesn't really talk much about that state of being up there or something. Right. And it is a very eschatological thing. Um, I just think that the this is this is a little controversial. Not that we haven't been controversial up to this point. <laughs> Do you know who we are, Pete? You're a heretic. <laughs> I know that. Um, Hell I've heard yeah. about you. But see, I think. The Jewish way of thinking about the end that Paul participated in, for example, which was not the only Jewish way of thinking about the end. There are some Jews who believed in like a disembodied souls. Mm. Not all of them believed like the physical bodies, everything. But Paul was a Jew for whom the body was important. And so there's an idea of resurrection, right? Mm. Yeah, right. So I think, you know, the that sort of uh, an expectation was a a way of understanding ultimate reality within the structures of first century Judaism, sure, so I don't know if some of the things that the New Testament writers talked about are necessarily like concretely what will happen one day. Mm. but i'd I want to try to understand what motivated them and was. It was a faith in God and a living God, right? Yeah. And these things will be brought right. We're not just going to go off floating off into the air someplace. These things would be made right. I just think that we need to think a little bit differently, maybe. At least I shouldn't say anybody else. I mean, I do believe in the continuation of consciousness, After we die, I have no idea what that's like. Don't ask me, but I've read some things. You know, I I do believe there's a consciousness that exists. I'm one of those people. I stand by it. I can't prove it, but I believe it. Sure. But I don't know if I like need a body to do that, Mm. you know, because Dale Allison, a New Testament scholar, (laughs) he says, basically, bodies are for pooping and recreation and eating. (laughs) That's sort of what bodies, uh, a procreation, pooping and eating, right? right? So but I don't know if we need to do that, but it's a spiritual body. Okay. That's cool. But how much is it like a regular body? Is it just, you know, know, all these kinds of things that I think Paul is, um, grasping for ways of articulating what he's sensing Mm. and his language is the language of the Judaism of his day. Yeah. Mm. And we all have ways of articulating it. Greeks, you know, uh, had their way in engaging with Greco-Roman philosophy. I think, as the human experiment continues, we have different models and different metaphors for trying to understand ultimate reality. In uh, that is uh, being relayed to us by our own context. Right? Sounds so, like
0: you're uh, tapping a little bit of process theology there. I hear a little. A I little think I of am. That. People yeah. have
1: told me that. It just. I come by it honestly. I'm like, I'm trying to think through this stuff and and yeah, feel free feel to that. throw cosmology and cosmic, uh, you know, and, and quantum physics in there and things like that. Yeah. It just makes me think that I have no earthly idea what God is up to. And I'm so happy to be able to say that.
0: I, I resonate a lot with that. I, I think about how, um, and if, if I'm wrong on this, just let me know, but I'm under the impression that, you know, like... Um, the, the 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 author or authors of Genesis, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, the stars are are the heavenly hosts, right? Like the gods in the sky. We know that mm-hmm. now that they're just balls of gas, right? There's there's no heavenly, godly thing floating up there. But in their context, that's how they interpret it and it helped them understand like right. their reality, right? But and that's so my I, point. Yeah. I, I think that that there is this sense that I've even thought about before we've had this conversation as well. And before I even knew what process theology was, where it's like, well, like based on our our current set of data, we or, or or just what we know about the universe and about the world that has to maybe influence how we see things compared to someone maybe like Paul who's in a totally different paradigm, right. totally different you know way of thinking uh, right. than I am. And also, it's this weird tension, I guess, of of can we sit and and learn from from those people right in their context as much as we know yes. about them and let that maybe critique our own cultural moment, saying, huh, mm-hmm. ba- maybe there's some wisdom here, right? Mm-hmm. While also kind of Wisely adding on to that tradition, saying, "Well, Paul wasn't aware of gravity or a brain. I mean, as far as mm-hmm. I know, there's no Hebrew word for brain. If I'm not mistaken, that's what I've heard anyway. Yeah, it could be, it right. could be much nonsense. But you know, the whole point is that, like, like the scientific method wasn't a thing in the in, in right. the eyes of Genesis one or two. So, can we add to that faithfully? And I think." For evangelicals, the answer is no. We have we have our concrete, oh, you right. know, it's been set, this is it, our English Bibles, and, and these books only, not the Catholic Bible, not the Eastern Orthodox Bible, but this Bible. But but like you said earlier in our conversation, that leaves me wanting. Like, it doesn't make sense when I encounter mm-hmm. the reality of my culture and what's right. just happening. It, it, it's not adequate anymore, frankly.
1: Right. And I think this is why people, and I want to use this language myself more and more very intentionally. People talk about Christianity as a living tradition, Yes, which if you believe God is real, there's no, you have no other choice, but to think of it as a living, I dare say words like evolving, but Mm. that has all sorts of baggage, but at least developing and changing and morphing and expanding. Yeah, That's, that is the, that's the tradition of Christianity because we believe as God, God is big and out in front of us and not just behind us in a book. Right, But we respect that past, and we engage it, and yeah. that's the, the spiraling of the tradition. Judaism has tended to understand that better, mm. right? When when Jews ask, I mean, I, I'm not going to speak for all Jews, but basically speaking, you know, Judaism wants to answer a moral problem, you know? Um, I, I'm sure they'll go to the Bible, but they also go to their tradition, mm. the Talmudic tradition, which is… You know, now over 2000 years of people, like you said, engaging it, adding to it, creatively engaging it because times have changed and they have to address things differently. You right, know, right? Um, Jesus does that in the Sermon on the Mount where, um, you know, you've heard it said moses you know allowed divorce you know with a written you know bill of divorce but i say to you right um this is jesus doing a very jewish thing which is the context whatever reason jesus says we have to, this has to be different now mm-hmm. right and i think that's part of judaism and i think that's part of christianity yeah um and i think the new testament is the beginning of that whole process where we're seeing The ancient faith of Abraham and the Jewish tradition up to that point being morphed and reframed around this Jesus and Christian theology is in a manner of speaking analogous to the Jewish Talmud. It's just too diverse because you don't have as many strands of Judaism as you have of Christianity. It's not mm. just Catholicism and Orthodoxy, but it's bazillion Protestants <laughs> and Orthodox that don't get along, and you know right. all this kind of stuff. So. Right. But we still have that. We actually, whether we like it or not, we have a living tradition anyway. right. So let's embrace that and let's be very intentional about asking, okay, what does it mean in this moment for God to show up? Right. The Bible is not going to tell you that. Right. Right. It's not. I wish it would, but it right. doesn't. Actually, I rem- I don't wish it would because people would bastardize that too. So,
0: I'm reminded of uh, Scott McKnight's book, The Blue Parakey. He talks a lot, oh, yeah. a lot about this. Mm-hmm. You know, every something to the effect of every Christian generation is is you know uh, charged with taking the Bible and kind of applying it in their day and their way, kind of idea. The the baton being passed down and, and mm-hmm. how culture. You know, has different problems for different times. So I think that's right. that, that's really good. That's really wise, and I think that that gives people some flexibility here, who maybe are coming out of these more fundamentalist evangelical spaces for the first time. You know, right, coming out right. of of that staircase or in, in walking up the steps into the first door, being told by the people behind them, if you open that door, there's no Christianity, there's no oxygen, you'll, you'll die. They open mm-hmm. it and they go, "Whoa, this is some fresh air," but it's overwhelming. And then and then it, I'm a little this- scared, but I like it. Exactly. You know, right. Exactly. I mean, that, that, yeah. that was me. That still is me sometimes, but it gets more comfortable as I do it more often. But yes, it's like, this is uncomfortable, but there's something, there's some intuition that's telling me keep going. And it turns out the right. house that we're a part of is massive. It's beautiful. It's complex. And there's a way better, I think, um, may, maybe answers isn't the, isn't the right word given this conversation, but there, there, there's just better ways of thinking, uh, approaches, that are, yeah. Yeah, approaches sure. uh, to being a yeah. Christian. So, um, you know, Pete, we're at the hour mark. Time flies when you're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um I appreciate you coming on and you know making time. Where can people find you? I mean, you and I are gonna be hanging out in October um, at, at Trip Fulvers beer camp. So that's gonna be a good time. I'm looking forward
1: to it. I feel <laughs> like it's it's a uh, bunch of boys uh, <laughs> with who are over twenty-one showing anyway. Yeah. But um <laughs> Yeah, where can you find me? What if I don't want people to find me? How does that sound? Fair enough. So, <laughs> so anyway, okay, so the Bible for Normal People has a website,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we have a Facebook account, and we have Twitter. We're also on TikTok. That's where and it's at. I think we're really close to controlling all of TikTok right now. Wow, it's impressive. only been a few months we've been on it, but I think- So proud of you. We own it. It's good. now. we're actually, it is fun. <laughs> it's also a bit crazy because I don't know if you guys have realized, but- not everybody on the internet is a stable human being, and so we get all sorts of weird stuff. And it's sometimes hard to know exactly how to handle it. Sometimes we have fun with it, but sometimes we ignore. It. But anyway, so that's we, we do that, and it's pretty much anything of interest. You know, if you go to the website, and my you can find all my books there. If you're interested in that sort of thing, we have the podcast. You can get through that, which is um, I think we're over 11 million downloads at this point. So amazing. Uh, 200 and maybe 25 episodes, roughly. We're in that area right now. Wow. And um, we're in season five. Right. Wow. I think so. Yeah. Wow. So we started in 2017. So.
0: Phenomenal. Yeah. Great. Well, I'll make sure to put some links there in the show notes. And uh, congrats on taking over TikTok. By the way, that is a huge accomplishment. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I, I wish you the best as, as, as you reign sovereignly over Rain TikTok. Sovereign you know? <laughs> over TikTok. <laughs> uh, Pete, thanks for making time. I By the way, That's I love him. the Thunder Mifflin shirt. Uh, I, I have a feeling you and I are going to get along great at, at beer camp. And uh, we'll talk again soon.
1: All right, man. See thanks. ya. Take care.